welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. For more information about our faith community, feel free to visit gatewaychurch.org.nz. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this message. Welcome to the Beatitudes. And Chris last week um, outlined and gave some framework and context of these blessings um, that we will be exploring over the next few weeks. And he talked about the cultural and the political and the religious milieu, like the environment um, that Jesus spoke these quite revolutionary sayings into. Uh, And he talked about how Jesus came, how he came and presented himself as a rabbi, as someone who was qualified to make these uh, really uh, bold proclamations. And Chris also talked about uh, the context in terms of Jesus' time on earth uh, when these declarations were made. Um, I'm going to actually be referring to a few scriptures tonight. So if you've got your Bibles, like actually, you know, a hard copy, or on your phone, you can do it on your phone too. Um, But when I was a kid, I I had the privilege of growing up in the church. Like I used to like kind of race to try and get to passages first. Anyone else? Anyone? No? Yeah, good on you. Um, Nowadays, like kind of that was like, you know, when the sermon was really boring, you'd be like, sweet, I'm just going to race to see where this is. I know, kind of geeky. But nowadays I know you can do like a sneaky check of Facebook. Let's not be doing that tonight. But (laughs) Matthew 4, 12 to 25, I'm not going to read the whole passage, but we see that Jesus has begun his ministry. And we see that one of the first things he says is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Um, And then he calls his first disciples and he wanders around Galilee proclaiming good news and healing every disease and affliction among the people. And it's so easy just to read over those words. Um, And I did it a few times as I was preparing for this. Um, But let's just read it again. It says in verse 23, He went throughout all Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. He did what? Say what? Um... As my three-year-old likes to say, he's a bit of a drama queen. Actually, probably takes after his mother. But he, um, he just, like, lets out this, like, when he's surprised, he's like, what? And he just, like, puts his whole, like, being into it. And he's really cute, so it's cute. But um, the other day, my friend um, told him that she was pregnant, and that she had a baby in her tummy, which it's not anatomic, whatsoever that word is correct. But he just, like, did the best response of, what? Um, but that's the kind of response that this deserves. Like, what? That is huge. Like, this didn't actually happen all the time. This was like a really big deal. Um, and so, what is this good news that Jesus proclaims? And if we go back to Matthew four seventeen, we see that it is this: the good news is repent, change direction, turn around, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is good news. God has broken in. The long-awaited Messiah has arrived. God's kingdom has arrived. And I know um, this can sometimes seem a little ho-hum if we've um, followed Jesus for any length of time. It can be really easy to forget the significance of this proclamation. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. God is near. Jesus has broken into our world. Things are different now. The future has broken into the present. Um, And to the first century Jew, hearing these words, this was radical, long-awaited, 
good news. God is here. God's kingdom is here. Um, And if the only thing I do tonight is remind you of this good news, um, it's probably enough. Because of Jesus, we have access. We are invited in. We are adopted as he is. We are forgiven. We are given the gift of eternal life. And God's way of doing things is broken into our brokenness, our sin, our heartache, our sense that not all is right with the world, that not all is as it should be. God's kingdom, his world order, has broken into this world order, and he has turned it upside down. Um, And Daryl Johnson, in his um, Sob Your Way Through a book, maybe it's just me because I'm a crier, and I'm one of those people that doesn't like to let other people cry alone, so... Um, But in his book on the Beatitudes, uh, he says, in his Beatitudes, Jesus is simply describing what happens to human beings when his gospel grabs hold. Jesus is saying, when you follow me, this is the type of people that you become. When your heart is gripped by me and my kingdom is broken into your life, you can't help but be a transformed person. Um, Matt this morning in his uh, talk, he talked about what it means to be poor in spirit. And although we're not going to be tackling the Beatitudes um, in the order they're given, there is, I think, a logical progression. Um, And the first Beatitude that Matt talked about this morning uh, sets up the rest. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, who know they utterly need and depend on God, who know that in themselves they're broken, that they desperately need God. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To them, the kingdom of heaven is given, and they are commissioned, we are commissioned to be kingdom bringers. And Jesus speaking to a first century Jew is saying, Israel, be Israel. Uh, Be who you are meant to be because of who I am, kingdom bringers on earth. And to us today, I think it's the same challenge. Jesus follower, be a Jesus follower. Those who are utterly dependent on me, Be who you are meant to be because of who I am. And this is what it looks like. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted. N.T. Wright says, the Beatitudes are not trying to teach hidden timeless truths about a reality that is normally hidden behind a bleak facade. They are announcing a new state of affairs, a new reality, which is in the process of bursting into the world. They are declaring that something that wasn't previously the case is now going to be, that the life of heaven, which had seemed so distant and unreal, is in the process of coming true on earth. Boom, like that is just such good news. The future has broken into and is breaking into our present. Um, Just one other observation before we move on. Um, And again, Chris outlined this last week, but I want to reiterate it because it's hugely important. Blessed or blessed, I'm not really sure how you meant to say that, but it's from the Greek word makairos, and it's sometimes translated happy um, in English. But it's probably, happy is probably just far too weak a word to really um, capture all that is meant by this Greek word. Um, And Chris used this quote last week, so I'll I'll use it again because it sums it up nicely. 
The special feature of the word Machairos in the New Testament is that it refers overwhelmingly to the distinctive joy which accrues to man from his share in the salvation of the kingdom of God. Um, Peter Kreft says, blessedness is an objective state, not a subjective feeling. Blessedness is not about how we feel about a situation or about our condition, but it is about how God sees us in our condition. And again, Daryl Johnson suggests that a good way to translate this Greek word is simply um, with a more familiar term um, of in sync, in alignment, in sync with God. Are we when we are poor in spirit, when we are meek, when we mourn? Um, And to be honest, we probably all hear that and have a wee bit of a sinking kind of feeling um, of I'm definitely not that and I'm not really sure if I want to be. Um, But again, good news. Like, tonight's just full of the good news. Um, None of these are natural qualities. None of us are naturally meek or poor in spirit or peacemakers. We can't manufacture or produce uh, these qualities by simply trying hard enough. These uh, qualities that as we come into contact with him and his way of doing things, of submitting to his rule and reign, these are the qualities that he begins to shape in us. Um, As we are on this journey of transformation, these are the qualities that he says are blessed. These are the qualities that emerge when his kingdom breaks into our lives as we live in sync with him. Um, Tonight, I want to focus on verse 5, and it says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Let's just read it together, shall we? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Um, I'd love to say that when it came to uh, dividing up who spoke to which verse in this series, that there was something really spiritual about the process. Um, but there really wasn't. We kind of just sat in a room and were like, oh, yeah, that, oh, okay, I'll take that. Or Joe was like, Matt, you're doing that one. No, it wasn't really like that. Uh, but there really wasn't anything that spiritual. Um, we just kind of divvied them up. But in saying that, there was something about uh, this meekness that kind of grabbed me. Meek. What is meek? Um, I'd love to also say that the verse uh, grabbed me because I am the epitome of meek and that tonight I'll be sharing uh, from my wealth of experience and meekness. Uh, But I'm not. Uh, You only have to drive with me in the car uh, to realise that there's a darkness in me uh, that the good Lord really needs to transform. Um, I just need a drink. I, I um, drive, actually, with this kind of competitive intensity um, that's really not becoming of a mother of two, um, or let alone someone who professes to follow the Lord. Um, I'm really, like, strategic about which lane I choose, and I treat um, being parked, like, stopped at the traffic lights like the start of a race. Anyone? Anyone? Come on. Um, Which is really silly, because if you've seen our car, it's definitely not a boy racer car. I don't know what it is. It's blue. But but I always choose choose the inside lane, um, and I've... Because you get around the corner faster, like... (laughs) I don't don't break the law, though, by the way, just got to clarify. But... um, 
I've been known to be abusive. Like, I've got a few pet peeves, and they mostly revolve around driving, but I've been known to be a bit abusive to people, mostly in my head, because now my toddler's starting to pick up those naughty words. Um, but particularly at roundabouts, and Hamilton's full of them. Anyone? Anyone? Yeah, thank you. So I am not meek, um, and Jono, uh, my dear husband, and his graciousness to me, sometimes might comment when I'm driving, he might say something like, oh, lovey, you're not really driving with fuel economy in mind, are you? <laughs> no. No, I'm not. I'm driving to win. So whatever this meekness is, I'm uh, not sure that I've fully grasped it. Um, I would say that the uh, transformation is still in its early stages. So tonight I want to look at what it means to be meek, who are some examples of meekness, how we become meek, and what is meant by the second part of the verse, which has the promise, shall inherit the earth. So what is meek? Um, I think in English, when we think of the word meek, we immediately come up with synonyms, and, and I knew when I was, I always have cinnamon, like the spice in mind whenever I say that word, so we, anyway, words like uh, tame, or timid, or spineless, or doormat, um, and language is just such a powerful thing. The words we use actually define how we think, and when we come to looking at a word like meek, we need to explore all facets and all senses of what the word means in order to more fully understand what has been said in this verse. So the Greek word that is used here that is translated meek is praus. Um, and one way to look at and examine what this word praus means is to explore how it was used in its first century context. Uh, and one way that it was used was that it was used to describe domesticated animals, uh, which uh, it's not very attractive or appealing characteristic, perhaps. But it was used in the sense um, of animals that had learned to accept control of their masters and so were properly behaved. So they knew how to respond to a word of command or a tightening on the reins or a pull on the leash. Uh, it was, they were, in some senses, self-controlled. And so if we extend this out to how it would refer to people, maybe, um, Daryl Johnson says, though it is people who know how to behave and who graciously co cooperate with proper authority. And um, some commentators actually highlight a sense in the word of being gods, so not just societies or any other authorities, but gods, gentlemen or gentlewoman, knowing to how to behave appropriately with gentleness and politeness, the opposite of rudeness or awkwardness, and knowing how to behave and cooperate with God's authority. Uh, William Barclay, who um, is a Scottish theologian, I think, and he's quite an interesting fellow, and he's got some interesting theology, uh, but has done an amazing study on um, the Beatitudes. But he says that with this kind of idea in mind, we could read this verse as, blessed are those who have every instinct, every impulse, every passion under control. Blessed are those who are entirely self-controlled. Perhaps though self-control isn't quite the right word, but maybe more God-controlled. Every instinct, impulse, passion submitted to God. Um, Aristotle on his work on virtues uh, would describe something as, or define something as virtuous uh, when it fell in the middle ground between like an excess in that virtue or a deficiency in it. So for example, generosity uh, was the middle ground um, between 
uh, oh, this is going to get me in trouble, but uh, Jono at one, one end, stinginess, uh, Joe at the other end, um, squandering one's resources, and so it's just the perfect middle ground, so that's why we're so good together, love you. Um, so he taught that meekness uh, was a quality to be highly desired, and he taught that it was the middle ground between kind of reckless anger on one hand and the inability uh, to show anger or cowardice on the other hand. So he would say that meekness was embodied in a man who is angry on the right occasion and with the right people and at the right moment and for the right length of time. Uh, Helps Word Studies talks about this prayus as being a blend of gentleness and strength of being able to demonstrate power without undue harshness. Or another way of putting it is exercising God's strength under his control. Uh, William Barclay again says that another way of translating this verse would be, blessed is the man who is always angry at the right time and never angry at the wrong time. Uh, Another way to unpack this word meek uh, is to look at other places in the Bible that it is used. Um, And when it comes to Matthew 5 verse 5, it's really hard to go past Psalm 37. Uh, Many scholars argue that Jesus is actually uh, pulling on that Psalm um, in this beatitude, but particularly he is looking at Psalm 37 verse 11. Um, So Psalm 37 is dealing, see, if you've got your Bible, you'd be like turning to it right now, racing. Anyone? Nope. Typing it into your phone? Nope. Uh, Psalm 37 is dealing with the problem of evil. And the question that we all ask at some point of, why is it that the wicked prosper and the good suffer? And it reads, fret not yourself because of evildoers, be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil, for the evildoers shall be cut off but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. And this uh, little last section of the psalm concludes by saying, in just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. So David, the author of this psalm, is honestly and just frankly admitting that it seems like the wicked prosper that those that ignore God get ahead. Those who are pushy and greedy and dishonest and people users and grabbing and self-promoting, those are the ones that seem to get ahead. But then he says the surprising little thing that Jesus repeats in his beatitude, but the meek shall inherit the land. So who are the meek according to Psalm 37? And I think that David actually tackles this characteristics from many angles in the psalm, describing what meek people do and what they don't do. So they trust in the Lord, um, they do good, they delight themselves in the Lord, they commit their ways to him, they wait patiently for him. Being Being meek is something you do, it doesn't just happen to you. 
But it also includes some things that you don't do. Fret not yourself, do not envy, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. So the meek trust in the Lord and do good. Um, Other people may get away with doing evil, but those who are meek walk their life a different way. They do the will of God and leave the rest to God. They do right in his eyes and don't try and orchestrate things to get ahead, but again, leave that to God. Um, As someone who struggles with a self-written job description of master and controller of the universe, um, I need to be reminded of, newsflash, I am not God. Um, I don't have to be in control of everyone and everything. I don't have to please everyone. I just need to do what is on my remit as a follower of Jesus, which includes trust the Lord and do good. I love that trust in the Lord and doing good appeared together. The ability to do good in the midst of evil is reliant on a deep and abiding trust that God has got this. Um, It takes incredible strength uh, to do good in the face of evil. Um, It's easier to fret not yourself um, in verses 1, 7, and 8 when you allow God to be God. Uh, The word in Hebrew, the Hebrew here, literally means don't blaze up, don't let yourself get heated, don't get hot under the collar. Um, How much time and energy do we waste by stewing on things um, or times where we've been taken advantage of or ignored or offended? And I'm not talking about times where maybe there's uh, uh, righteous anger is needed or justice is needed, but those moments where you really just need to let it go. Um, Again, not to harken back to my driving, uh, but I'm going to. But there was an incident the other day where confession time, I happened to be one of those people who wasn't paying attention um, at the roundabout, Um, and I was rushing home to pick the boys up from preschool, and I didn't see a truck indicate, well, to this day, I kind of swear, did he indicate? Don't know. Um, But I pulled out in front of him, and um, because it was a nice day, uh, his window was down and he got on his horn and he like yelled out the window at him and I like flipped him the bird. I didn't actually, I didn't. I definitely didn't. So I was just checking you were listening. I didn't do that. Um, but I did spend, I spent the next five minutes just stewing and I was just like vacillating between, you know, you know, you know this, all those things of that, like if I'd had my window, what I could have down, what I could have yelled back at him. Um, nothing happened by the way, there was no damage caused. Um, it, And then on the other hand, just feeling like just so bummed. Like, didn't he know I was just a mum just trying to get back to my boys? I wasn't like trying to inconvenience him. And I was just like stewing. I was stewing. Um, I know, I tend to overthink. But I caught myself and I just felt like God say, settle down, Joe. Um, It doesn't matter. It's not even worth the time and the energy that you've spent in these last five minutes stewing over that. Fret not yourself. The meek also delight themselves in the Lord. And the word delight that David uses here relates to the word Eden. Um, Eden was a place of right relationship between God and man. It was a special place. Uh, In Genesis 2, we see that God made man, and then he made a garden in Eden, and then he put man in that special place. Um, And in that place, man walked with God. Um, And before they stuffed it up, they knew who they were with God. It was a place of right relationship. And so it is for the meek. 
who delight themselves in the Lord, and in doing so, have a security and a peace and a sense of identity that can only come from knowing and walking with the very one that made them. The meek also commit their ways to the Lord. And the Hebrew word translated commit here literally means to roll. So those that are meek roll their ways onto the Lord. Um, Stuart Briscoe says the meek roll their lives, their cares, their reputations onto the Lord and let the Lord worry about it all. The meek also be still and wait patiently. Uh, being, be still and wait patiently are verbs. And again, they are active things that meek people do. Being still and waiting patiently is not about sitting somewhere and staring at a blank wall or twiddling your thumbs or uh, passing the time on social media by reading the comments section of the flags debate. Don't go there, guys. Just don't go there. You might go in and then it'll be three days later before you realise and you try and get out. Actually, any comment section on any kind of social media, don't go there. As a communications expert, don't. Uh, also, uh, um, or it's not about also watching series after series on Netflix. Again, good way to pass the time, but that's not what this is about. Uh, being still and waiting patiently is an expectant activity. Um, and the image that comes to mind uh, for me with this is that moment um, when a sprinter kind of settles down into the starting blocks. And I'd love to be able to say that I'm gonna talk about this again from experience of like being a sprinter back in my youth, but it's not. But I am an avid Olympic Games fan. Um, we somehow conveniently timed the birth of our ch two children to kind of around the time of the Olympics Games and then the Commonwealth Games. So having a newborn was awesome because I just was up in the middle of the night anyway. So I got to watch a little bit of sport. So my analogy comes from those times. But the sprinting, it's always a highlight. Um, and there's this moment with the sprinters that involves this active stillness and waiting. And it's as they uh, settle down into the starting blocks. Um, I'm not gonna demonstrate. Just have to imagine. Um, they settle down into the starting blocks and they're, in, they're prepared and their muscles are tensed and they are listening intently for the start again. Uh, and they're still and they've got full concentration and there's the moment when the camera like pans across and you can see the focus in their eyes. I mean, the art is uh, in that they don't go too early, that they jump the gun but then that they don't go too late, that they get left behind. The stillness and the waiting is in the, in, in the anticipation of the moment when the gun goes. Bang! And it's this type of waiting and stillness that the meek cultivate in their lives. Focused, intent, concentrating, and listening for when God says go. And it's a waiting and a stillness that anticipates fully that God will say go, that God will intercede, that God will act. The moment when the sprinter settles into the blocks and waits for the gun to go must sometimes like seem like this indeterminable length of time. And sometimes that can be the way. Waiting sometimes feels like forever. But the meek know that God will answer. And while they wait for his answer, they channel their concentration and their focus into being absolutely ready for when he does. So, 
so far, uh, we've seen that this word meek has quite a few different sort of facets or senses to uh, what it means. And we've seen some things that meek people do or do not do. But now let's take a look at what meekness looks like by looking at how else the word is used in the Bible or who else is used to, to it to describe. Who are some meek people in the Bible? Don't worry, before you get concerned, we're not going to do a character study on 20 people. Uh, it's actually only used explicitly to describe two people in the Bible, one being Moses and the other being Jesus himself. Uh, when we think of Moses and Jesus, probably wimpy, timid, spineless, or doormat, are not really adjectives that we would use to describe them. So perhaps to get a fuller or a further picture of what meekness is, we should look at how it is attributed to both Moses and Jesus. So let's start with Moses. Again, in your Bibles, uh, if you turn to uh, Numbers chapter 12, uh, but verse three particularly, it says, now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. So this verse is in the context of a situation where Aaron and Miriam, who are Moses' brother and sister, had basically just called him out publicly um, on his marriage to a woman that they didn't approve of. Um, she wasn't a Hebrew. But it seems like this offence is actually uh, kind of on top of maybe a whole other heap of feelings of resentment that they had around the fact that Moses was the leader and that maybe they were just as qualified to lead. Um, and their question was... Has God not spoken through us also? And then the text says, the Lord heard it. The Lord heard Aaron and Miriam complaining about Moses. And then it drops this little line in um, of, now the man Moses was very meek. And the Lord calls them out of the tent of meeting to have a little chat. And in some ways, this little story has kind of this really interesting structure because you might expect that you hear that Aaron and Miriam are appeaved with Moses and that straight away you just kind of see what Moses does in return to retaliate and what God does. But it doesn't actually work like that. There's like this almost little side point of, but the man Moses is very meek. Um, and it seems like it's really important that we know this. Moses' meekness is a crucial, important part of the picture. And in this little passage, we don't actually hear anything of what Moses says in response to the accusations against him. And I wonder if it's because he is meek. I wonder if it's because he knows how to hold his tongue. I wonder if it's because he trusts that God will intercede, that he knows when to let an offense go and not get worked up or hot under the collar. He knows to fret not himself. He's confident in his relationship with God. He knows where he stands with God because he delights himself in him. He knows how to roll his cares onto the Lord and wait patiently for him to come through. And God does come through. God defends Moses. Uh, Moses doesn't even have to defend himself. Um, and then the text says that Miriam became leprous. Um, and you know, that could be that. Moses is vindicated. Uh, in a shame-based culture, it was really clear that Moses... Uh, was on the right side, that end. Well, it could be, but we have to remember that Moses is very meek. So because he is meek, he prays for Miriam. He cries out to God for him to heal her. And God listens to his meek servant. Miriam is healed. And Miriam has to face her own consequences for her actions, and she's actually set outside the camp for a certain number of days. But Moses, he doesn't actually even have to worry about that. Moses just does what meek people do, and that is trust God 
and do good. As I said, the only other person in the Bible that meekness is explicitly used to describe is Jesus. And Jesus talking about himself in Matthew eleven twenty nine says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek, which is this Greek word prose, and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Jesus in this verse says, I am meek. Look at me. This is what meek looks like. I am gentle, yet strong, submitted and obedient to the Father, always angry at the right time, and never angry at the wrong time. Be like me. Let my kingdom, my good news, break into your heart, and this is who you will become. Take my yoke, and you will find rest. Um, sometimes in Christian circles, uh, we may hear a call to follow Christ that sounds a bit like, God loves you, and he has a wonderful plan for your life. Or it might be some kind of other postmodern kind of grace mumbo jumbo that sounds a bit like, God accepts you for who you are, so just carry on and do whatever comes naturally to you. Grace, grace, and more grace. And both of these statements actually have enough truth in them to captivate us. But they're not actually really the point of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Of course, always, grace, grace, and more grace. That's the amazing gift of the gospel. We can always come back. Jesus always offers more grace. And of course, God does love us. I mean, he does have a plan for your life, and it might not be wonderful like you think it is wonderful. So those things are true. But do you know what he actually said in his call to, uh, for us to follow him? He said, if you want to become my followers, deny yourself take up your cross and follow me. And in this, you'll notice that Jesus doesn't say, copy me, he says, follow me. Yes, copying is definitely part of following him, but I would argue a call to follow is a far bigger call than a call to copy. Copy and follow have slightly different nuances. And when we take up this call to follow him, he flips everything upside down. Um, and what we once assumed to be normal, we realize is abnormal. We might think those, things that we're, those people that are powerful and self-promoting will inherit the earth. Jesus says, stop, hang on, it's the meek. And you who are meek and are in me will inherit the earth. You meek ones, because of who I am, because I inherit the earth, you will too. But before we fully um, move on into unpacking this promise, let's just examine how one becomes meek. It all sounds great, but how do I actually do that? Um, I love Jesus, and I want to follow him, and I want to be like him. But if it's like you said earlier, Joe, that we can't manufacture or produce these qualities by simply trying hard enough, then how do we, how do we get them? And as I said earlier, these Beatitudes are qualities that as we come into contact with him, and his way of doing things, um, of submitting to his rule and reign, these are the qualities that he begins to shape in us. So what is this journey of transformation and how do I know that I'm on it? Just tell me what to do. Uh, becoming meek, as I've already said, is not a passive activity. 
And yet, I think at the same, um, at the same time, as soon as we get, set our goal to be meek, I think it will elude us. Meekness isn't actually the point. Following Jesus is being gripped by his good news, being captivated by who God is. When this happens, meekness is the result. Meekness isn't the point, meekness is the result. This is not a passive thing, this is an active thing. It involves a constant turning, a continual process of repenting and coming back to him, of being captured again and again by the good news that Christ died for us, that the kingdom of heaven is here, that the future has broken into the present. And of course, it involves effort and training and discipline and habit making like Don talked about in our last series. As we are gripped and re-gripped by this truth, by the one who is truth, as we are captivated by him, as our desire and our delight is in him, as we actively set our hearts on him, then the resulting transformation is that we become like the very things that these Beatitudes outline and like the one who spoke them. You become like the very things that you put your thought, your time, your energy, and your attention into. Seek first the kingdom of God. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So what does it mean to inherit the earth, and when does this happen? Our Psalm 24 verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Um, I think it's easy to forget or be discouraged sometimes when we look around that actually the earth belongs to God. Uh, it's already his. He made it, and the ultimate weak one will inherit it. And we, as followers of him, claim our inheritance through him. Again, to fully grasp what this means, we need to go back and think about what this would have meant to the original listeners. Um, in the first century, the area that encompassed Galilee, Samaria, and Judea was torn with wars and rumors of wars. It was all about power and military might and political intrigue in order to possess the land. Other zealots on one hand were in for a brawl and the Herodians on the other hand would compromise anything to stay in power. And it's into this setting that Jesus says, actually, it's the meek, it's the meek who inherit the land. Um, and this would have been wonderfully good news to those who heard it because their reality was completely different. The meek didn't appear to inherit anything. The meek got trampled on. But remember what we started with when Jesus came bearing good news. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. A new order of things is broken in. The old way is done. It actually doesn't work. And we see that all the time around us. Those that push and grab and step on others only last until the next pushy, grabby, demanding person user comes along. Daryl Johnson says, those who get to the top by stepping on others last only until the next group of steppers step on them. Those who seize and hold power unjustly eventually fall under the weight of their own injustice. Empires built on greed are eventually eaten up by greed. 
God's kingdom is here, and we no longer live under the old order of things. We live in sync with God's way of doing things, and he says, it's the meek, the meek inherit the earth. So when? Well, in the end, obviously, and when, as the Jesus Storybook Bible says in a paraphrase, again, another great thing about being a parent is you get to read storybook Bibles, but it says in the last few chapters, or a paraphrase of the last few chapters of Revelation, and the king says, look, God and his children are together again. No more running away or hiding, no more crying or being lonely or afraid. No more being sick or dying because all those things are gone. Yes, they're gone forever. forever. Everything sad has come untrue. And see, I have wiped every tear from every eye. And then a deep, beautiful voice that sounded like thunder in the sky said, Look, I am making everything new. And it goes on to say, I am the beginning, Jesus said, and the ending. One day, John knew heaven would come down and mend God's broken world and make it our true, perfect home once again. How can that not grip our hearts? This is such wonderful, transformational good news that in the end, which is not really the end at all, but rather the beginning, God will have his way. But also now, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. In the future, yes, but also now. The kingdom is here now, not fully, and we live with the awareness of that and the frustration of that. We know that not all is as it should be, but the kingdom has broken in, and we are to be kingdom bringers. The meek inherit the earth now, not the pushy and grabby. They're too busy pushing and grabbing to even enjoy the earth they're so desperately trying to possess. Again, back in Psalm 37 verse 11, it says, the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. And I wonder um, at how much of inheriting the earth is also tied up with delighting in it and having abundant peace in it. Let me ask you, who are the people that really enjoy the earth? I can tell you, actually, because I uh, live with two of them. Um, And my two toddlers really know how to enjoy the earth. And I'm not sure if you've ever had the pleasure of watching a child uh, discover and enjoy the earth for the first time, of seeing them take such delight in jumping on a frozen puddle, or the feel of sand in their mouth or the crunch of leaves in their fingers, or the taste of a lemon for the first time. They're not trying to play power games. They're not worried about getting to the top. And this, I think, is a picture of what it means for us as meek ones to inherit the earth right now. Living in such a way that is not demanding, or pushing, or grabbing, or fretting, or using others, but simply delighting ourselves in the Lord in his good creation, trusting in him, and then being free to enjoy his good earth that he has given us now. That's inheriting the earth now. Of remembering what he said to man in Genesis 2:15, where it says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden, um, a place of intimate friendship with him, to work the land and take care of it. 
Uh, perhaps it's worth remembering that as meek ones, the earth is our inheritance. And so we should already have in place a practice of taking care of it. When we delight in something, we take care of it. And I'd like to challenge us, and myself mainly, about what this means practically. That recycling and thinking about what we consume and where it's produced and what waste it produces is important. Not because it's like the latest fad and not because even of the reality of pollution um, and the fact that we're using far more than the earth can actually sustain. But it's important because the earth is ours. As Jesus followers and as kingdom bringers, it is our duty to care for it. It's our inheritance. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Um, just as I finish tonight, Jeff and team, why don't you come? Um, when coming to this beatitude, I guess what really piqued my interest in it was just the thought that meekness is so countercultural. Um, we sadly live in a time where our heroes are not really heroes. People were famous for no particular reason. We edit and retouch ourselves to present an image of something that isn't even real. We live our lives in some ways uh, more connected than ever, and yet so severely disconnected and alone that we've forgotten how it really means, what it really means to be human. And it made me ask this question, and I, want of, I wonder what Jesus would say to us. I wonder what he'd say to me, um, aside from obviously sort your driving out. But maybe it's this. Blessed, in sync with God, are the meek. Those who have every instinct, every impulse, every passion under control those who are entirely God-controlled, those who are always angry at the right time and never angry at the wrong time, those who fret not, those who trust in the Lord and do good, those who delight themselves in Him and roll their ways onto Him, those who know how to be still and wait patiently for Him, for they shall inherit the earth, they shall enjoy it in the now, and know that it is theirs in the end. Amen. Let it be. Thanks for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. Again, check out gatewaychurch.org.nz to find out what's going on within our church.